0: Good morning, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Michael Kelly and I've had the the privilege of being able to open up uh, the Word for your students a few times this weekend and I'm glad to be able to do that with you here this morning. The theme of Disciple Now this weekend that we've talked about is one word and the word is undivided. So we've talked about different aspects of what that word means, and we we started on Friday evening and we talked about that before we can even begin to consider what it means for us to live in an undivided way with an undivided devotion to God, that we actually had to start with God and the fact that God has an undivided love for us. And that's really the foundation of everything else that we said, that once you come to understand that God has an undivided love for you, then you're more ready to understand the undivided ways in which he is calling you to live. So we began there on Friday evening, and then on Saturday morning, we talked about the fact that when you're rooted and established in the undivided love of God, then you're ready to embrace the undivided mission that the Lord has for us all. We talked about the fact that this mission that the Lord has sent us on is not just a series of projects that you're supposed to complete one by one by one, but instead it's an entire lifestyle that you're supposed to live, that you're never really off mission because your entire life becomes a gospel-centered mission by which you extend the kingdom of God in both word and deed to everyone and everywhere around you. So we talked about the undivided love of God, we talked about the undivided mission that God sends us on, and then last night, we talked about the undivided focus that the Lord wants us to have with our lives. That he doesn't just want us to live in a cyclical pattern where you focus on him on Sundays and then for the next six days you don't really think too much about him at all until it comes Sunday again and then you focus on him again and so on and so forth. But the Bible tells us that God has something different for us, that it's an undivided focus and the word that the Bible uses to describe that undivided focus is the word abide. And so we talked really practically last night about what it means to abide in Christ. And so that brings us to this morning, and we've got one more undivided word to talk about together. And this morning, we want to look at the issue of undivided obedience, undivided obedience. Now there's a lot of places in the Bible that you could turn to to find out about undivided obedience. It's certainly all over the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. And it's clear that this is what the Lord wants from us, but the place in particular that we're gonna look this morning is in the Gospel of Luke chapter nine. It's the text that Abby has already read for us this morning. And if you turn to Luke chapter nine, we're gonna start in verse 23 with just a few short verses that are going to describe for us this undivided obedience that Jesus is not just calling us to, but commanding us in. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the Bible says that then Jesus said to them all, and if we could just pause right there, Jesus said to them all, so this is not a message for people who are super serious about their faith, and this is not a message for people who are in the student ministry and they're really really excited right now about God and Jesus and this is not a message for just the rich among you who have you know, the, the, the leeway in life to think about such things. And it's not just a message for the poor among you who need some other kind of message. It's not just a message for the Republicans in the room, and it's not just a message for the Democrats in the room. It's not a message for the males, and it's not a message for the females. It's not a message for the educated or the uneducated. It's clear Jesus said to them all. And so he says to us all i mean if your heart is beating this morning then this is a message for you in other words what jesus is about to tell you is kind of a tough teaching but there are no mitigating circumstances in your case you cannot look back at this teaching of jesus and say something like okay, that's probably true for most people, but I've got some special instance why it doesn't really matter to me. You can't say, well, I'm too young to be thinking about such things. And you can't say, well, I'm too old to be thinking about such things. And you can't say, well, I'm too sick to be thinking about such things and you can't say well i've got my whole life ahead of me and so i can't think about such things this is a message to us So what is the message to us all this morning? Well, it's a message about undivided obedience. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then let me tell you what that looks like, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, young or old, male or female, it doesn't really matter for all of you. Jesus says this, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and of the holy angels. It is an undivided obedience that Jesus commands us to. That is the only way to follow Christ. And the metaphor that Jesus uses in this passage is taking up your cross. He says, this is what it's like to follow me. You've got to take up your cross. Now to us today, that image of the cross doesn't, it doesn't land in the same way that it would have landed with a first century Palestinian audience. And the reason it doesn't is because we are super familiar with the image of the cross. I mean, we put crosses on our buildings and we have Uh, Paintings of crosses in our homes, and we have crosses themselves that we hang on our walls. And we've got the cross on earrings and the cross on necklaces, and some of us even have tattoos of crosses on our bodies. So we are super familiar with the image of the cross. But if you were in the crowd that day that heard Jesus say these words for the very first time, they would not have been nearly as familiar and nearly as comfortable with Jesus saying, You got to take up your cross and follow me. In fact, If you can imagine, standing in the crowd that day, there very well might have been like an audible gasp that went up when Jesus says, take up your cross. Because in that day and time, the cross was not something that you talked about in polite company. They knew that the cross was and still is today the bloodiest, most torturous, most humiliating, most painful form of public execution that humankind has ever invented and it was reserved for the worst of the worst kind of criminals so if, if you were living in Palestine at this time and you saw somebody walking through the middle of your city carrying a cross you would not have to wonder what they were going to spend their day doing They're going to spend their day dying because that's what that means. Nobody would be carrying a cross unless they were on their way to their death. And so Jesus is saying here that the undivided obedience that is required, if you're going to follow me, is simply this. You got to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the 20th century theologian that taught and wrote during the rise of the Third Reich in Germany, and was eventually martyred for his faith and reflecting on this passage, said this in one sentence, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it means to follow Jesus with undivided obedience. It means that you willingly give up all your hopes, all your dreams, all your aspirations. It means you willingly give up all your resources it means that you take your hands off of your life and you open them up to everything you have and say, Lord, everything that I have and everything that I am, it's, it's yours. And with your open hands to demonstrate the fact that you are giving everything over to Jesus, you take those open hands and you reach down and you pick up the cross and put it on your back and start walking with him. You hold nothing back at all. This is the way to follow Jesus. Now that's a weighty command right it is a weighty heavy command and we could close the bible right there we could pray and we could ask the lord for forgiveness in the ways that we have not taken up our cross and we could resolve ourselves that you know starting today we are going to take up our cross and we're going to follow him with undivided obedience and that would be a biblical truthful message we could close the bible and be finished but i fear that if we did that then we might still misunderstand what Jesus is calling us to here, And if we misunderstand it, then we're really not going to get the full weight of what it means to follow Jesus with undivided obedience. So let me, for the next couple of minutes here, give you two ways you might misunderstand this call of Christ. And if you misunderstand it in these two ways, then you are going to miss what it means to follow Jesus in undivided obedience. So here is misunderstanding number one. Misunderstanding number one is that undivided obedience means making Jesus your number one priority. That is a misunderstanding. Jesus does not want to be your number one priority. Now, typically, we think about life like this. We think about it in terms of priorities. In fact, you could even go home later today, and you know, if you're a student, you'll lapse into a coma, but then after you wake up, you can actually do this. If you want to, you could list out everything that's important to you in your life so you could list out your faith you could list out your studies you could list out sports you could uh, list out your family you could list out the fact that the Titans are going to beat the Chiefs today like you could list out all of the things that are of great importance in your life and then you could force rank them one down to however many And if you do it honestly, you know, you could look at that list and think to yourself, well, is Jesus number one on my list? So is he... The most important thing to me and if he's not the most important thing to me then you can repent of that and try to put Jesus back as number one on your list and then just keep on living most people live their entire Christian lives through that cycle where Jesus is number one then you get busy or things get hectic and Jesus drops down on the list and then you go through and make him number one again and then he drops down and then you make him number one again and then he drops down and so you live your whole Christian life with an endless Series of recommitments so that you then are recommitting on the recommitment which you recommitted last time you recommitted your life to Christ. (laughs) She knows. Most people live like that. But I wonder this morning if you could just imagine that potentially there is an entirely different way that God desires you to live in Christ. And that is that Jesus does not want to be number one on your priority list, but that he wants to blow up your priority list. See, the problem with having a list of priorities is that yeah, you know what's most important to you, But the thing that's number one on the list really doesn't have any influence over the thing that's number 18 on the list, other than the fact that you do the first thing first before you do the 18th thing. So I wonder if you can imagine your life not as a list, but instead imagine your life like a wheel, like an old timey wagon wheel. So if you got that picture in your mind, you know that there's a hub at the middle of the wheel And then there's these spokes that go into the hub of that wheel. Now, the hub is really, really important because the hub is what gives strength and stability and shape and definition and purpose to all of those spokes that go into it. As a matter of fact, if you take the hub out of the middle of the wheel, then really you've just got a bunch of sticks there that don't mean anything, and those sticks are really only useful to be thrown into the fire for kindling. So if you got that picture in mind, imagine that Jesus is the hub at the middle of your life. And suddenly he's not just number one on a priority list, but he's the center of your life. And that means he's giving shape and definition to everything that comes out from him. And if you start living that way, it dramatically changes the way that you see everything else in life. By way of illustration, I remember, you know, a decade ago, when my son was five years old or so, we went through this exercise together that generations of Americans have now been going through together. And that is that we sat down and we watched uh, all the Star Wars movies together. So to be clear, we started with episode four. We didn't watch those garbage films, episode one through three. I don't even know if he's seen those. We started at episode four and we watched it all the way through. And I, I mean, I remember it was a truly special, moment when his mind exploded under the weight of the revelation that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. I mean, it was, he, I mean, it was a no way kind of moment in our home. So for months and months and months after we watched those films, everything was about Star Wars to him. I mean, every swing set was an X-wing fighter on a mission, you know? Uh, every sit down at the dinner table was an opportunity to talk about the destruction of the Death Star like we were in the headquarters. Uh, we, we were walking one day, not long after we saw those movies in our neighborhood, and my wife and I were walking in front of Joshua and, and at that time his baby sister. And behind me, uh, I, I heard just out of the corner of my ear this whack. I turned around, and Joshua was standing over his sister with a stick like this. She's laying, like writhing in pain on the ground. So you don't turn around and run up to him and say, buddy, what are you you doing? We're not going to hit each other with sticks in this family. With all the seriousness that a five-year-old could muster, he looked up at me, and he said, Daddy, she was an imperial spy. (laughs) And... So she must be struck down was the <laughs> indication. The point is that for him, he had seen something that it, I mean, it had captured his heart. It had arrested his imagination to the degree that nothing in his life was untouched by that vision. And when Jesus is the hub at the middle of your life, it's as if you put on Jesus-tinted glasses and you start to see everything through those lenses. Rather than having a priority list, you let everything in your life be framed by who Jesus is and what he's done. So that means if you're married here this morning, through the Jesus-tinted glasses, you come to understand that marriage is not just about companionship, and not just about having kids, and not just about having two incomes in the household to get by. Marriage is meant to be a walking, talking, living, breathing illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. And if you're a parent here this morning, you start to understand that what you're doing here is not just raising good citizens and compliant human beings, but instead every interaction you have with your children is meant to be a shadow of the interaction that their greater parent is having with them. When you get ready to choose a college, you don't choose your major based just on what you're good at and what you enjoy and what you think you can make a lot of money doing. But instead, you take a good hard look at the world around you and you think to yourself, how can I most be maximized to make a dent in the darkness for the sake of the kingdom of God? When you choose who to sit by at lunch, You don't just choose based on the person that you like the best, but instead you have a ministry mindset and think to yourself, is there someone here that might need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you seeing it? That's way different than having Jesus as your number one priority. That's letting Jesus explode your list and let him be the center of your life to where nothing in your life remains untouched by his influence. Don't misunderstand and think that undivided obedience means making Jesus your number one priority. It's bigger than that. And that leads us to misunderstanding number two. Misunderstanding number two is that following Jesus always means doing big things. Now, maybe there are people in this room, I bet there are, who have big aspirations about stuff you want to do for God. I mean, maybe you have the aspiration that you want to write a book that's going to sell a million copies and reframe the way that people look at Christianity in this country and across the world. Or maybe you feel like God is calling you to write a song that's gonna be sung in all the churches of the world uh, so that people can be drawn into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you feel like God is calling you to start a Bible study on your campus that's gonna start out with five people and then it's gonna double and then it's gonna double until pretty soon you're having to meet in the auditorium every Monday morning for Bible study. Or maybe you feel like that God is calling you to walk the road of adoption and not just adopt one child and not five children, and not even 10 children, but even more than that, to bring them into your home. These are big things that the Lord might be calling you to. But the problem is that many of us get so fixated on the big things that we want to do for God that we neglect and miss the little everyday opportunities for faithfulness that God has put in front of us. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I went to a small school out in West Texas. We had about 7,000 students enrolled there at the time. Uh, my father was actually a professor at this college. He taught statistics there for 40 years. Yes, that's true. 40 years he taught sp- uh, statistics. And when I was there, something remarkable was happening. There was a student-led worship service that met on Thursday evenings. And at the height of its popularity, you know, we would have as many as 3,000 students that would show up on a Thursday night at a secular university to stand outside in a field and worship for two hours. It, It was remarkable. It was the closest thing I've ever been to that you could call like a real spiritual Revival now the problem was college students like to stay up late like real real late So we didn't start this worship service until 10 p.m On Thursday night and so you would go to worship at 10 and you would worship from 10 to midnight and then of course at midnight Nothing is better than waffles So you would head up to the waffle house and get waffles and eggs by the time you got actually in the rack in your dorm It was 1:30 or 2 o'clock in the morning every single week So I remember one Friday morning, I straggled into my dad's office, the statistics professor, and I flopped out in his chair unshaven. I stunk. My hair hadn't been cold. I'd been out most of the night, was tired. My dad looked at me, and he said, hey, buddy. And I said, hey. And he said, hey, did your 8 o'clock accounting class get canceled? And I said, no. But I was so tired from worshiping that I decided to skip it. My father said, son, I want you to know that I'm really excited about the big things that are happening on campus right now. And of all the places that you could have been at two o'clock in the morning, I'm really thankful that you were at a worship service and at Waffle House. Like, don't hear me wrong. I'm thrilled with that, okay? But I would love for you just to consider what it says to your accounting professor, who by the way, I've known since I've been here for 10 years, and for 10 years, I've known that he is an atheist, And for 10 years, I've been trying to share the gospel with him. I would love for you to consider what it says to that man when the Christian students in his class don't show up on Fridays because they were out late worshiping. So I I went most Fridays after that. And you know what? He was right. So students, if I could just speak to you in particular, for instance, maybe you're walking out of this weekend with some big aspiration for God. We want to applaud that in you. We want to applaud that in you. And at the same time, we want to encourage you to remember that as you wait to do something big for God, that there are all kinds of ordinary, everyday moments of faithfulness That the lord is calling you to so he might be calling you to do something big but he's for sure calling you to do something small don't worship at the idol of the big thing you want to do for god so we might misunderstand this passage to think that Undivided obedience means making Jesus your number one priority, and we might misunderstand it to think that it means that we're supposed to do only big things for God. And I know I said I was going to give you two, but if I could, I'd love to give you one more way that we might misunderstand what undivided obedience means. That we might misunderstand that undivided obedience means a life of sacrifice. Now maybe that's not computing with you right now because you've heard me say things like, Jesus is calling you to die, he's calling you to give up everything, he's calling you to live out these every day, moments of faithfulness. Frankly, that sounds a lot like a life of sacrifice and loss to me. Let me take you back to the original text and have you remember what Jesus said. So Jesus is saying to us all, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross daily, every single day, not just one time, but many times in ordinary acts of faithfulness and follow me. But then he says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus is not telling you to lose your life. Jesus is urging you. He is pleading with you. He is saying, save your life. And you're standing on the verge of losing your life. Don't you get it? You could potentially lose your life through all of these trivialities. But if you are willing to walk the road of dying to yourself, then the end of that road is going to be actually saving your life. You're gonna figure out what true joy is and what true gain is and what true satisfaction is and what true life is. Jesus is not telling you to lose your life. He's telling you to find it. But the only way that you find it is through walking the road of loss first. Lay down your life so that you can pick up a real one with him. Don't misunderstand. And think that undivided obedience means living a life of sacrifice in and of itself because Jesus end is not your sacrifice it's your gain his end is not your death his end is your life this is what he wants for all of us this morning I would love for us to pray together and consider together what it looks like for Jesus to be the hub at the middle of your life. And for us to take up the ordinary moments of faithfulness Jesus has offered to us. And for us to trust in faith that any sacrifice is going to lead to gain at the end. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that this is a, can be a difficult teaching. We thank you that even this teaching in which you call us to die daily, to take up our cross daily, that this teaching is filtered through your undivided love. That you give us this teaching because you love us, that you don't want us to lose our lives, you want us to find our lives. So Lord, I I pray for us, for the students and the parents and the adults and the sponsors. I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us not just to live a Jesus-prioritized life, but instead to live a Jesus-centered life. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to worship at the idol of doing big things, and in so doing, neglect the ordinary, everyday opportunities for faithfulness that you give us. Help us, Lord, to take up the cross and see those things before us. And I pray, Lord, that as we do, you would give us glimpses of the true life that you are calling us to. May it be so. We pray that it would be in the name for the sake of Jesus. Amen.